Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of A Contagious Smile, where every smile tells a story. We have Laura with us today. She has some amazing views on things that I'm so excited to get into and talk about. She's also the founder of Public Love Enterprises, which we're going to find out more about that as well. Laura, thank you so much for finding the time to come on here. Thank you so much for your views on things. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm so excited to be here and to talk today. So thank you for having me. Of course, of course, of course. So before we go any further, tell me about your public love enterprises. What exactly is that? Yeah, so it's an online school for change makers. And really, we focus on three things, which is one, getting free from internalized capitalism and patriarchy. Two, getting power, figuring out, um, you know, getting comfortable with it, claiming it, wielding it, being able to make real change in the world. And particularly, you know, as women and change makers, we're often uncomfortable with power. And then three, figuring out what is ours to do in this time, you know, because there's all the things that need to happen in the world. There's a lot of things that need fixing, but what is ours? So we're a liberatory space, an online school, really empowering change makers in these three areas. Thank God. God bless you. Oh, that's amazing. I'm so excited about this. I want to know, and I'm sure they do too. I'm sure all the listeners do too. But what is your definition of cultural detoxing? Oh, gosh, I love this question. You know, so it's really about getting free from the ways that systems like capitalism, patriarchy, all the various forms of supremacy culture that exist, control and dominate our lives the ways that we have internalized them into our psyches, into our relationships. And to give you a good example of kind of what I mean by this, you know, the common example that I speak about is internalized capitalism, which is really the equation of our worth with our productivity or with what we produce. We have internalized the dominant aspects of capitalism that says that we always need to be growing, that there's never quite enough, that is never, you're never enough, there's never enough time, you haven't done enough and all of these aspects of it into our body, into our mind, and we play out their ideology, we play out their belief system. And what happens when we do that? Well, one, not only does the world not change because we keep upholding these toxic systems, you know, which is a big thing, but two, also we end up burnt out, we end up stressed, we end up caught in perfectionism cycles, we end up exhausted, giving everything to everyone and then collapsing on the floor with nothing left. Because we're so not doing anything for ourselves. Exactly. You know, and really we're just kind of perpetuating and upholding the systems that we're ultimately looking to dismantle. So detoxing from culture is really about finding these toxic elements of culture. And it's not all culture, it's just, you know, the toxic elements that we don't want. Working out how they live in us, through us, as us, and then doing the work to unlearn that, to get free, as I call it. Yes. Give us an example of your culture detoxing. If you could get rid of one, how, and what would it be? You know, the biggest one, I think, for me at the moment, like the one that I'm still really like unlearning, I think is this sense of time scarcity. And, you know, I really link the sense of time scarcity back to capitalism because scarcity is inherent to capitalism. But it's that sense that there's just never enough time. And you right. hear it in our language, right? You know, mm -hmm. thank God it's Friday or how was your weekend? You know, oh, it was good, but, you know, it wasn't really long enough. You know, I wish I, I, wish I had another day, you know, or... Oh, we have so much to fit in today. We're just going to power through this meeting. We're going to take a really quick lunch break. And we're going to like try and hit all these agenda points. And maybe we'll drop this off. So this sense there is just never enough time. And this, you know, for me personally, like it leaves you in a sense of like kind of feeling stressed and on mm -hmm. edge and burnt out. And like, you're just never quite catching up, right? You're on that treadmill. Right. So, so Laura, what do you do to change that? 
Oh, I think the first thing is recognizing it. Yes. You know, if you cannot change something, if you can't see it. Yeah. And that means every time, you know, I often say, I wish the work of getting free was like this big one moment of realization and then I never had to do anything again, but it's not. It's, it's not. that really unsexy work of like everyday decisions. So it's like, I noticed this morning, I was running through a workshop that I'm about to run in the next week. And I was hearing myself as I was prepping for it going, you know what? Okay, we're gonna try and keep this short and sweet. We're gonna try and like hit this point. And I was like, what is this in my language again? And then I noticed, right, in my body, I was feeling that, I was feeling some anxiety. I was mm. feeling some pressure. And so what I did was really take a moment to step back, take a few deep breaths, look at where this was coming from, you know, and just kind of recenter myself and recenter my body to act from the place that I want to be. Not just like the place that I think I am, but where do I want to be? I want to be abundant in time. I want to be calm. I want to be present. How can I start to ground these experiences into my thoughts, my words, and my actions? And so it's a lot of that day-to-day -day coming back to decisions and, and how we want to be. So how does one start this process? Ooh. You know, I think it depends really where we are and how aware we are. You know, as I mentioned, that first step really is that awareness. But I think once we've kind of got that awareness, it's about, you know, I often refer to it as finding a new compass, mm -hmm. you know, so we can notice, oh, I'm making it from this anxiety I'm making it from scarcity. I'm making this decision from stress. But then it's like, well, where do I want to make these decisions from? And that's when I kind of bring things back to the body. I bring things back to pleasure because this is like such an entry point, the body. And I spent, you know, I spent most of my life, like right up until like my late twenties, very, very disconnected from my body. You know, I lived very, very neck up. And, you know, I remember being, you know, in a therapy session at that time and really kind of learning to discover that we feel our emotions in our body. And yeah. it was like revolutionary. It's like very, a little disconnected, just a little. Why but do you now, think that you were living neck up? Well, one, I think as a culture, most of us do. Mm -hmm. And two, I think I, I didn't grow up in an environment where I really learned the tools of feeling my emotions. So, you know, we learn to rationalize things and we learn to disconnect because especially when we're burnt out, when we're exhausted, when we're not feeling good, the body's not a comfortable place to be. No. Right? It's, it's full of tension. It's full of tightness. It's giving a whole bunch of warning signs that are very hard to read. Mm -hmm. And so reconnecting to the body, I think, is that first entry point after awareness and after like, okay, well, I see this, I see this system playing out. I see this pattern playing out. I can see that I'm feeling anxious or scarce. Well, okay, where do I want to act from? Let's return to the body first and let's see what the body is offering me. Does the body say I have capacity? Does it say I have energy? Does it say I even want to do this thing? Right. And I think that's a good entry point to start. It says I'm exhausted. I have to wear 20 hats as a mom, as a person in the corporate world or professional world or business world or whatever that might be as a wife, as a partner, as, as everything. And at the end of the day, you have nothing left for yourself. Nothing left for yourself. I work 20 hours a day and people say that all the time. Like I'm envious to the fact that like my husband and daughter have every week they have a date night and I love it. I love it. But it's they watch a movie together and I'm still working, you know, and they do things together and I'm still working. And they, you know, the common five days of work a week, I don't know, I'm seven days a, a week. 20 hours a day and everybody's like, you're going to burn out. You're going to burn out. But it's, if you don't, you don't get things done. And I'm this person that's really old school, Laura. I like, 
I have my day planner. I write everything down. I have it in my phone, but I have both because, you know, we all know that technology can, can cancel on you. What if your phone dies? What if you lose your phone? What if this? What if that? But I write it down and everybody makes fun of me. They're like, oh, grandma's in the old school day. And I'm like, okay, when you lose your phone and everything's in there or you lose your purse and your phone is in there and your credit cards are missing and everything else, I have everything written down. I'm not going to be having a panic attack because I've got it, but it's methodical. And I know that there's probably a lot of steps that I can do to make things a little easier, but I have no idea where to begin. Yeah. I, I mean, first, I kind of want to ask, I mean, what stops you though? I mean, I know you mentioned that, well, nothing will get done if I don't work these 20 hours a day, but it, is that absolutely true? Yes. And why does it need to be done all in this 20 hours that we have? Can it not wait until tomorrow? Um, I'm very, like, I'm like you, I grew up in that home where I didn't get the tools that I needed and I was never good enough and nothing I ever did would amount to anything. Even though I was in corporate by the time I was like 20, it didn't matter. I still wasn't good enough. And so I've always been this person that strives. I don't believe in, I don't think anything is, is perfection. Like there, perfection isn't really a word. It should be out there. Um, but I strive, like I help, I try to help so many people like Laura, if so, if God forbid something happened and, and you come to me at 10 o'clock at night, I'm having a situation, you're going to get me, you, you know, you won't necessarily get any of the team, you're, you'll get me and I will walk you through everything. I will listen to you. I'm not watching a clock. I'm not looking at, you know, what's going on. I will help you get your home as safe as possible. I will help you design a strategic exit plan. I will help you redo your resume. I'll help you learn how to redo who you are and bring back that light. I am with you every single step of the way and there's no clock. We also, mm -hmm. my husband and I um, literally just not that long ago started breeding golden retrievers for special needs and we're funding it out of our own pocket. We have 25 puppies right now, plus the 11 big dogs and they have to be taken care of. And I have a daughter with special needs that I medically homeschool. And then I have my company that I run and I have three podcasts and they're in the top 1% globally. And they get there because- of people like you. It's not me. I'm just hosting it. It's people like you who come on and give amazing resources and amazing stories of inspiration and light. And then we talk about other things that most people don't want to talk about on one of the other platforms. And the third platform is for teens where they have that acceptable place to talk where they are heard and we try to make change because teens today don't have a place to talk. So Laura, I'm being pulled in like a hundred different directions. And I don't know how much you know about me. I had over a hundred surgeries to correct what my ex did to me and during my abusive marriage. And after lots of surgeries and lots of fighting, I lost my arm. And so I'm a recent amputee that I took 17 years of surgeries and trials before I just said, okay, it's not going to work. Let's just get rid of it. So now I'm learning how to do everything one arm and it takes a lot more time. And I'm very stubborn. Like my my prosthetic team was like, how, how are you doing with your prosthetic arm? I'm like, it's wonderful. It looks beautiful on my dresser. It's a dresser piece because A, it's heavy. B, it slows mm -hmm. me down. C, I hate it. Did I mention I hate it? Um, it might work for some people. It doesn't work for me because I have enough artificial, like this is all metal, not by choice. I'm deaf, so I have hearing aids. I don't want anything else on me that's not me. And it takes a lot to make that move and it slows me down a lot. And I know that it, I mean, they say normally it takes about two years to acclimate to a prosthetic device. And I get that, but it hurts. It's painful. And I'm sure maybe in time it'll go away, 
but you can't drive with it. You can't type with it. I mean, you can, but it slows you down immensely. So I work all the ways around it. So I literally have my hat in like so many arenas that I don't know how to to yeah do that. and this is the case for you know a lot of us as 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 anybody who's trying to help the world right anybody who works in like the nonprofit sphere or you know in some sort of volunteer role or change making or activism there are so many people and so many things that we want to help that we end up giving absolutely everything of ourselves right, right? and like you're right you only need to look around the world today to see the the number of increasing crises but so this yeah but there's a couple of different points here. You know, there's one, I think we need to include ourselves in our circle of care. Like we, we really don't, a lot of the time we kind we of don't. put everyone else ahead of ourselves. And you know, I'm curious, like where this comes from, the idea that somehow we are not worthy of our own pleasure. We are not worthy of our own fulfillment. And I'm a big believer that, you know, whatever experience we're looking to create in the world, if we're trying to create more justice, we're trying to create more love, we're trying to create more connection that is very difficult to create those experiences unless we're also able to ground them into our own body, unless we're also able to experience them ourselves, because it's it's the actual living out um, of, of what it is that we want to see. And so see, I, that's kind why of, I, I totally believed you'd be so absolutely amazing. I, I get to deal with these beautiful people. I hate how we meet because of the fact that they've been abused or they're going through special needs and things like that. But we, we build like a bond that Un, you know, you, people that have never experienced it don't get it. And you build this bond that, that lasts forever. And I'm still friends with people I helped 17 years ago. And it's more than that. You know, it, it's a real good understanding. And then when I was learning about you, I was like, oh, my God, when you're going through this and you feel so alone, Laura would be such a great resource to go to because they've had everything torn down from them. They feel like they're nothing because you hear it every day. You begin to believe it. It's your normal that you're never going to deserve any better. You are unattractive. You're this, you're that. There's a million things that you're told and you feel like you're not worth anything. And then that's when I'll take it a step further and say, do you have kids? Are they worth anything? Then let's do this for them. And we're going to get to you because sometimes at that emergent moment, they're just like, well, I'm going to stay because I don't do any better. But if there's kids involved, you can use that to help get out and then we can help the parent. But that's why I was so adamant about wanting you on because you'd be such a huge resource to help these people, men and women, because men are victims too, in realizing that they are worth fighting for, that they can release this toxicity because it's a new way of life. They learn a whole new way of living. And that's why I would love to like find a way to just link you to everybody so that they can come in and, and talk to you. I mean, this is one question I couldn't wait to ask you. You believe that we need to try to stop saving the world. Ooh. Why do I you mean, think that is? I love this. I love this. I do. And you know, the reason I actually started thinking about this um, was I was very engaged in climate activism. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very, very passionate about it. I think it's one of the defining crises of this time is climate change. And you know, there's a big message in the environmental world or the environmental sphere that we need to save the world, we need to save the planet and all of these stories. But they really, you know, when we're talking about as, as activists and change makers, like when we're talking about stories like this, we're talking about thoughts that we keep thinking, we're talking about words that we keep saying. And so what happens when we keep thinking every day that it's our job to save the world? Well, it's creating a danger response in our bodies, isn't it? It's, create, it's saying there's a threat, there's that, there's this big David versus Goliath thing that I can't change. And don't get me wrong, climate change is a threat. It is a massive threat. 
but it's not a threat in the sense that for most of us like right here right now talking in this conversation that it's going to come along and it's going to hit to hurt one of us but our bodies don't know that you know they don't our nervous systems don't know that our nervous systems are constantly responding to the stories that we're feeding them and this means that when we have stories about needing to save the world our body and our nervous system is constantly in this hyperdrive looking for a danger looking for a threat and i think and this applies to so many different spheres of change making right And there's so many spaces that we can start to ground our work in where we still do the work, we still show up for the cause, we still show up for the mission, but we do it from a place of love, we do it from a place of service, we do it from a place of care, and all of those stories of why do I do this, not to save the world, not because I need to do absolutely everything because I can't, you know, but because I love the world, and I want to do what is mine in service of the world, that has such a different response in our bodies. As a different, it's just completely, it feels different. Mm-hmm. And it also changes what we do. Now, sometimes it'll mean we do the exact same thing as we did when we were saying we needed to save the world. But sometimes it actually gives us a little bit more nuance to choose something that is more joyful, that is more aligned with our interests, more aligned with where it is that we feel that we're called to be, as opposed to, and I'm prone to this, trying to do all of the things all of the time <laughs> without end, you know? And never quite getting there, you know, always being stuck in this mode of like me versus them, like David versus Goliath, this is it. So that's why I say it. I think there's power in changing the story around what we do and why we do what we do. Now, you have this toolbox of all these amazing tools to help better yourself. What would you take out as a tool to help somebody who comes to you who is just left a horrific situation and has totally lost themselves? I think if some, I mean, first I want to, you know, obviously the disclaimer, if somebody has just come out of a horrific situation, I think working with somebody like a therapist is incredibly powerful and necessary. Mm -hmm. But, but two, beyond that, I think it's really about what we were talking about before reconnecting to our bodies. You know, when we've been through trauma, when we have been emotionally or physically or sexually or whatever, in whatever sense, abused, when we have been living in burnout mode and and this hyperdrive for Mm -hmm. our entire lives or decades, then we are going to be very disconnected from our body. And there's going to be spaces there that we need to learn to reconnect to and to work through, you know. When we talk about the body, we have so many expressions in our language, right? Like follow your gut, sorry, trust your gut or follow your heart or, oh God, it's like the weight of the world is on his shoulders or (laughs) they're a pain in the neck. And like we have all of this language because it really speaks to genuine corresponding things in our body that actually are giving us advice, that are giving us the truth of our capacity, Mm -hmm. that are giving us the truth of our desires. Mm -hmm. But when we have come out of a bad situation, we are not tapped into that at all. And so what we need to learn to do is to create a sense of safety in the body, to learn to reconnect to it, to trust it, to make a relationship with it again, so that we can start to use it as a compass going forward. Because that's, that is such a guiding principle. And if we can't do that, then I think we're still trying to work from very much up here and all of our thoughts and what we should do and what is the best and, you know, making these decisions from a place that really doesn't serve us a lot of the time. Right. I absolutely agree that they need, everybody needs to go into talk to a therapist. Absolutely. But that's a lot of times, Laura, that's like once a week. And, you know, sometimes in the beginning, they can't afford it because they are literally jumping out with this clothes they have on their back and nothing else. So 
in that process of trying to get in, and sometimes there's people that have to wait months and months to get therapy too, which I totally do not agree with because the system makes it that way. I don't agree with that at all. What are some things that they could be doing to try to get reconnected within themselves in the interim? I mean, look, meditation is one great tool. It's not for everyone, but it is a tool that I use. And it's one that you know, for me has been life-changing. Learning to, to be able to sit with my experiences has changed my life. That's not something that I could do. And two, beyond that, I think it's about just noticing sensations, like noticing where is it tight? Where does it feel heavy? Where does it feel closed? What happens when I think about different scenarios and then I notice what happens in my body? Because, you know, our body is not just reacting to, like when we talked about climate change before, it's the big thing, right? It's it's easy to think with our fight or flight response that it's just responding to, you know, the, the dark alley or the actual danger situations, but mm -hmm. it's not. It's responding to everything that comes into our environment. So it's responding to what we're listening to in the news. It's responding to what we're talking about. It's responding to, you know, our thoughts about what's going to happen later in the day. It's why we start thinking about giving a speech or something and we start feeling all that anxiety or those butterflies just from thinking about something because our mind is powerful. Right. So I would be like starting with even just noticing, okay, when I think about this scenario and whether I want to do this, what do I notice in my body? Do my shoulders feel heavy? You know, if I think about, do I want to say yes to this thing? Do I feel a lightness? Do I feel like a yes? Does it feel subtle? Do I feel an anxiety? You know, what's underneath that? And just starting to notice what is there. And that's work we can do day to day, minute by minute, you know, just checking in. What do I feel? why and i can tell you what it took me years to do that i did not feel anything for a long time i could not understand when they were like you know well what does the anger feel like in your body and i was like it doesn't really feel anything i just want to swear and shout and yell like but the more i could tune in the more i could start to notice my body the more i could see that it was there and then that connection just develops naturally so for me, and I'm hoping that, you know, this resonates is, is I hear it all the time and I went through it myself where you have triggers and you can learn to go from a very um, anxious state to an understanding state where you know that you're not going to get to close that book and put it away and it's never going to be touched again. It's there, but you can manage it. You can learn how to cope with it. You can learn how to live with it. You're not just you know, being, a, you're not a victim, you will be a thriver, you will learn to live with it. You know, in the beginning, yes, any sound at night, I was up ready to go like, okay, you know, because that's was a trigger at night. And I tell people, you can get over that scared, horrific, look over your shoulder everywhere you go, you can get past that. I mean, do you agree with that? Absolutely. I think you can. I, and this is like, one of the things that really changed my life when I was a lot younger. So, you know, I suffered with terrible mental health issues throughout my adolescence. Like, and part of my coming out of that was really realizing that there was an element of choice that I had, not over what I was experiencing, but over what I chose to do next, over the belief that I could hold that things could be better, that I could choose to believe that there was a way out. Even if I didn't know what that was, even if I had no idea what that looked like, that I had to believe that it was there. And I think that's something that, you know, as a cultural story, we we often consider ourselves to be quite powerless, you know, as a culture, that's just the way the world is. That's just the way life works. You can't change anything. Don't don't bother trying. You know, all of these kind of apathetic stories that apply to so many areas of our lives. Right. But if we can start to believe a little bit, just that things have the potential to change, that things have the possibility of changing, we don't have to know the how, 
or that they do, then that opens us up a little bit. It definitely gives us room to work from. Yes. Talk to me about your concept and theories about mindfulness. I think mindfulness and, and meditation, you know, they're wonderful tools. I mean, yes. I use them myself. I, I teach them. I live them. You know, they're life changing practices. But I also think sometimes in our culture, we use them as a little bit of a band aid. Mm -hmm. So we use them as a sense of like, especially like, oh my gosh, anybody here who's worked in corporate, you've probably seen this with like the resilience workshops and things of like, like, hey, you know, like if you just meditate like five minutes a day, you can be like so much more productive. You can get even more done. And, you know, if you just write this gratitude list or you start practicing mindfulness, you won't be multitasking. And then again, you can get more done. And it's a really problematic way to look at it because it's not yes. what it was designed for. It's not using it as a tool of transformation. It's using it to basically just try to keep doing the same thing you're already doing, which is not serving you, but just, you know, I'll be a little bit more resilient. And I think this is the problem that we see resiliency as this individual thing. We see it, you know, as a personal character flaw as well, that if I wasn't strong enough or I'm burnt out, that there's something wrong with me. And it's not surprising that we see burnout all over the world today, and particularly in change making. Like, mm -hmm. look at the world and what we're facing. Look at the unrealistic expectations that we have as a culture about, you know, who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to be and how much we're supposed to be doing. And so to me, burnout really is a system problem. It is a collective failure. And then we're framing, you know, the idea and the answer to resilience, resilience all in mindfulness and meditation, which are great, but not the answer. So tell me what happens if somebody reaches out to you, what's, what happens then they reach out and say they want to work with you. Uh, so I work with people one-on-one -on -one through coaching, and that really depends on what you're looking for. So I have a find what's yours coaching package, which really focuses on, you know, trying to stop doing all of the things and work out what is yours to do in this time so that we can set some boundaries, let go of the perfectionism trap and really kind of step forward in power. There's also a regenerative leadership coaching program for anybody who's in leadership in nonprofits or social enterprises in the change space to kind of deepen their power skills. Uh, there's, and lastly, there are online courses that I'm running on a regular basis. So some of them are free workshops, come along. Other ones are paid long-term courses where we start to do all of this work together of unlearning, getting power and finding what's else. Laura, tell me where we can find all of this amazing stuff so we can find you. Uh, my website is laurahartley.com and my Instagram is at laura.h.hartley. I'm also on LinkedIn if that's your kind of space. And your website for your school is under your name? It is, yes. Right. You can find it at laurahartley.com. Gotcha. We ask everybody before we leave if they have a favorite quote. Do you have one for us? I mean, I have so many, but like the one that's coming to mind is by Bayo Komalafe and I think ties in a little bit to what we've been talking about and you know, he says that these times are urgent, we must slow down. And I think this really speaks to the idea that urgency doesn't mean working faster. It doesn't mean doing more. It can mean being slower and more intentional. And, and that's an ongoing practice, I think, that we can all learn from. I like it. Will you come back on again? Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you so much for being with us today. And I'm going to make sure everything is in the link so everybody can get to you. And uh, we're going to have you back. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. I truly appreciate it.